Hi, friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In Season 2, Episode 35, Sasha interviews sleep medicine physician, Dr. Katherine Sharkey. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Welcome to the Brave Enough Show. It's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Thanks for joining me today. I have a super fun guest. She is one of my favorite people on the planet. She's hilarious. And I think today we're going to laugh a lot. We're going to learn a lot. So I'm excited that you've tuned in. And I want to encourage you to head on over to becomebraveenough.com and sign up to join my monthly grit and grace inspiration. I send you a little 30 second read on Mondays, but more importantly, it connects you with all the new stuff that I have going on on the website. It's really a central source for women from classes, courses, community, everything. It's just, I've completely redone it and I cannot wait to share it with you. So be sure to head on over to the website and pick up your copy of Between Grit and Grace while you're there. Uh, Check out some podcasts, check out some free reading and some courses and some events and just get a little inspiration, get a little pep talk, get a little encouragement from me. Without further ado, let me introduce my good friend, Katie Sharkey. I cannot wait for you to hear from Dr. Sharkey. She's an amazing person. Welcome to the Brave Enough Show. I'm so excited to have my guest on. She is a wonderful human being and she's brilliant, but also she's funny. And I mean, like whenever I'm around her, I laugh so hard. And so I love that she's coming on the show today because I think we all need a little laughter and I think we all need a little endorphin hit from laughter. So I want to introduce my guest, Dr. Katie Sharkey. She is an MD PhD, which means she's super smart. She's a double doc. So she is an MD like me, a physician of sleep medicine, but also has her PhD, which means that she had to defend a thesis, had to go to all these other years of schooling and classes and research and studying. And she's just brilliant. And besides all of her work in sleep medicine, she also is the assistant dean for women in medicine and science at the Alpert. Medical School of Brown University. So that is how I had the amazing um, privilege of working with her and getting to know her through um, our friend, our mutual friend, Dr. Julie Silver. And so she does a lot of work on gender equity and she's super fun to follow on Twitter. So welcome to the show, my friend, Dr. Sharkey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk about all things Uh, women in science and medicine and some sleep stuff and whatever you want to chat about. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? Uh, What's your hobbies? What kind of like, what's your family situation? What are you doing today? Tell us. Got it. So I live in Rhode Island. I live in the town I grew up in, um, which is outside of Providence in the suburbs. And I, if you'd asked me at 18, was I going to move back here after graduating from high school? I would have said no way. Um, but it turns out just like, you know, Mark Twain says, boy, after I got out of college, I realized how much my father had learned during that time. I, uh, (laughs) I realized, you know, my parents raised us in a really cool place, and um, so we moved here. So I I trained in Chicago, met my husband, who is a family doctor in medical school. He was my next-door neighbor in medical school. Um, he's He likes to tell people she moved in. 
then I moved in. <laughs> um, and so he was ahead of me in medical school. And like you said, I did, I took the long road and did this MD PhD. And then I did a five-year residency because I did a combined internal medicine and psychiatry residency. And I had two kids during residency who are now ages 14 and 16. But at the time when they were tiny and I was finishing residency, I, you know, we'd have these little babies and one of them would have a fever. And, you know, we'd both stand in our kitchen in our white coats and be like, well, I'm a doctor. Well, I'm a doctor, too. (laughs) And so, you know, who's going to deal with these kids not, you know, not being able to go to their daycare today? And um, so we moved to Rhode Island after I finished residency and my husband opened his own practice and is still a solo practice. Practitioner, um, which they're a rare breed, but it's a great gig for him. And I started um, working at Brown. So, and we've so we've lived here since 2007. And like I said, I have teenage, two teenage boys now. Um, and I, for for work, I do wear a lot of different hats. I get to do this. A gig where I do development for women at the medical school and across all biomed at Brown. And I also practice sleep medicine and do some research. And I do like to do fun things. Um, some of them I can't do right now because we've been social distancing, but stuff I've been able to enjoy despite not being able to go anywhere um, is doing lots of walking in my neighborhood and doing lots of yard work, although it's you know, we're hoping for it to warm up here in Rhode Island. Um, and when I'm allowed to go out again, I like to go to the theater and out to eat and go to the beach and go boating and things like that. So that's I know. Me. And you and I have, okay, we, another thing we have in common, we both have 14 and 16 year old sons that were our residency babies. And I, I don't know if it was like this for you, but I look back to that time and I'm, I literally like have amnesia and I don't, Oh, same. I'm like, and I think that it actually plays into the whole sleep thing, but I remember like not sleeping for like seven years of my life. And it's to the point where like Lance will say to me, Hey, do you remember when we were little, the boys were little and we took them to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we did like, I don't even have, I, he has to like cue my memory. I'm like, we did that. I don't remember. Did we go there? Like, even if I see pictures, it's crazy. I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when they were both the youngest. Um, and I was in residency and then doing my year of fellowship. Like, I don't remember. I, I don't know how I got through those times. Oh yeah. Right. Same. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I did it. And the same amount of, uh, sleep de- deprivation now that I had then I would have, de- you know, I'm dead for two days. Oh, that's I, you know, I can't function at all. Oh yeah. And yet I did that and, you know, breastfed and, you know, <laughs> carry, I'm pretty sure my breast pump had MRSA and, you know, pseudomonas and I would carry that snazzy little backpack all you know it was like when microfiber just came out and people would be like I like your backpack and I'd be like it's my breast pump which really stopped the conversation about the backpack as a fat that's like a special shout out to style MD like my awesome very stylish 
Melita back. Oh my gosh, I have the from, same one with the little right? silver zippers. Those, yeah. Yeah, the silver. I was just going to mention those little holes <laughs> on the zippers were very, they were sort of shapely and stylish. They I were loved those. so and other stylish. people would comment on them. <laughs> so, anyway, so I had my breast pump and I used to lug it all over. And um, <laughs> yeah. And I, and, you know, but I'm, but that's a thing, you know, I would give advice to women. And I do say this in my, you know, mentoring hat is if you want to grow your family, that your decision about when you want to do that is when it's right for you and your partner, if you have one to grow a family, regardless of, you know, what you're doing professionally, because institutions don't love you back and your fertility ain't going to last forever. And we do, we do, in my um, program at the Office of Women in Medicine and Science, we are starting to really try to make part of our annual offerings conversations with medical students and residents and fellows and other house staff and trainees about, you know, that parenting while you're a doctor is something you need to be deliberate about and that the strategy of pretending that the people don't train to be physicians during the same years where they usually grow their families. Like, let's just cover eyes and pretend that's not happening and it'll go away. Oh, yeah. It's no longer like a good strategy. (laughs) And, um, And so actually being planful and trying to make changes you know, all across the board, locally in where people can pump and nationally in what kind of limitations they can set for when you get to take your board exams, like all that stuff. We need to work on it. Yes. It, and I'm you sure are working. You encountered oh. all kinds of very, I, I, all I'll say is I had this Excel spreadsheet and I knew every, cause I did, you know, at one point sit with my program director so that he could sign off on my eligibility to take my internal medicine and psychiatry boards. And I had a spreadsheet and I knew exactly how many days I'd spent in every single thing because I was afraid that I was not going to graduate on time or that I would have to, you know, make stuff up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh my goodness. So much to unpack. And this is what, one of the reasons I asked you on the show, because you are a leading expert in these maternal issues as they face women in medicine. And I can tell you, like, I look back and I remember pumping at the VA when I was, did it my year of internal medicine in a broom closet, because it was the only place there was no, like you, there was no outlets in the bathrooms right. or locker rooms. So I, we didn't really have those. So, I mean, it was at the VA. So I had to, so one of the janitors was nice enough that he would let me put a sign on the door cause you couldn't even lock it. And I would sit with my back to, in a chair to the door so nobody could open it <laughs> because there was a plug there. Like literally, literally that's where right. I pumped. And I remember thinking like, this is so embarrassing. Somebody's going to see me. What if they hear me when they're walking past? Like all these things. And I mean, gosh, like what do they expect women to do? Like, that's the thing. Like it's crazy because 20, 15 years later, we're still not that far. Like I was just a visiting professor on the West coast at a very large institution that I won't name. And they just remod, they just built this new hospital and ORs and they were so proud of it. And they're showing this beautiful, I mean, the windows and just the gorgeousness of this whole new hospital. 
and I meet with the residents and the two, one of the chief residents was a woman. And she was like, well, the one problem is they didn't build any places in the new ORs or the new office or the new hospital, surgical hospital to pump. And I'm like, she's like, and I'm like, it's 2020 people. Like it's 2020 and we still have people building hospitals that don't think about the nurses, the, the, the residents, the medical students and the faculty, half of which are women having to pump. <laughs> right. Well, or, and you're re- part of it is specialty dependent, right? So even if the spaces are offered, if you're one of two emergency medicine attendings, you know, working on one night, you cannot go to the other building to go pump. Yeah. You know, right. Yep. So it's, so there are, you know, it's, even when there are, you know, facilities that exist, there the barriers range from, you know, things like that where it's two buildings away, but at the same time you're supposed to, you know, be available for the traumas that are coming in. And and also like the mundane where if you want to get arranged at a ro- during a rotation or if you work at more than one hospital as a faculty member, you, know, you have to meet with Susan who's in this department at this time to get the key. So right. we're trying to introduce some systemic change and, and there's interest in it. You know, part of it is that the that I think not all the hospitals have the expertise or know the right things to ask, you know? So one of the first things we started with is, you know, things that are imperative, a sink, a lock, a door that doesn't have one of those little windows, right? A plug, like you mentioned. And then there are the sort of nice things like the couch is comfortable. There's a phone and a computer so that while I'm there, I can be, you know, looking stuff up while I'm, you know, attached to the pump. Um, you know, so, and there are great successes with this. And then I think there are people who really run into obstacles. You know, I've heard, I've heard amazing stories of people because the pumps, by the way, Sasha, are way better than when you and I were doing this. They like, you can just have them on all the time. (laughs) And literally, no, I'm told. I know, I've heard people driving and doing this. I'm like, oh my gosh. Way better. And that you can just have it on and even be like, actually working and it's just on underneath your scrubs or what have you. But um, so I've heard of like sort of these heroic stories and then, but you know, not everybody finds it easy to breastfeed and it, you know, there are obstacles and supply changes when you go back to work and some of that's due to sleep deprivation and hormonal changes probably. And so, you know, the, the fewer barriers we can have, whether it's, Hey, what if once a, quarter the locks were all changed to the same code <laughs> and it could spell <laughs> right. milk right or you know, I mean like you know like right. how big a problem is the lock on the door and do they couldn't you know throughout our system could we use the same one or not have you know all these so the the variability messes things up and just it makes it it an obstacle And for people who really struggle, you know? Yeah. And I think the key is just involving women, having women leaders. Well, right. Right? Because they're not, because we can't expect people who don't have these barriers, have never been a mom, have never breastfed to go, well, wait, 
what about the nurses and the OR staff and the medical students and the residents who have and the and the faculty in anesthesia and surgery who have to breastfeed? Like no one's going to that we can't expect them to even think of that because they won't. And so this is why it's so crucial to have women where decisions are being made you know, all decisions. I totally agree. It's, it's not about, it's, it's ignorance. It's not malevolence. Right. Right. But it also, like you just said, it underscores if there had been one woman who'd breastfed in the room, you know, in the right. room when they were laying out those blueprints of the hospital you just described, I bet she would have said, uh, hey guys. Right. Yeah. And instead. <laughs> right. Exactly. Point of order. Right. But, um, you know, but we are still lagging and it makes a difference and it makes a difference in retention and, you know, job satisfaction and burnout and all the things that, you know, this was a, a workforce that I don't think was, you know, on its best leg going into the COVID pandemic. And certainly I think we're going to be seeing the battle scars related to quality of life and overwork and, and really the disequilibrium that we all encounter all the time. Yeah, I know. That's why I I really wanted to ask you about that from a Dean perspective, working the work that you do for women in medicine and science. Um, Have you, do you think that there, you know, what, what are some of the common things that I think women right now, especially in the middle of the pandemic, and not just women physicians, but women working outside of the home, like what do you see or what do you perceive or what are you reading um, is affecting them the most? Well, I think, you know, the data show that even in households like yours and mine, where we are lucky enough to have spouses that are, you know, that contribute and want to help and are engaged and involved. And it's still women carry the load of the household work. And so I think being at home more and trying to meet the needs of jobs and meet the needs of families has just become more intense because the kids aren't in school for six or seven hours a day. And that's, it's, harder and you want to keep an eye on them and when you're home with with them and they're there you want you don't it's very hard to say yeah I'm not interested in looking at that right now <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, I got I got this other thing you're right you're not I mean I think most parents regardless of gender don't want to do that and you know but if moms are the ones that are here then they're the ones that are getting more of that, having more divided attention. It's like, I'm sure you've seen that meme where it says, you know, your, your job wants you to work like you're not a mother and you're, and yet you should be parenting like you don't have a job. Yes. Yes. And so it feels, I think, so I think there's that. I think there's probably guilt, you know, of feeling like not, you're not doing enough in either realm that has intensified around this epidemic. And I think that's especially an interesting prospect among people who are quote, not first responders. Right. So if you're, if in the midst of all this, you're in the front lines because you're doing, you know, taking care of these critically ill people and these massive numbers of people that's intense and you have, and you know, your purpose, but 
if you are, you know, on the C string or an outpatient doc or, you know, not on the front lines, it's like, hmm, am I doing enough? Right. What's, you know, when's the other other shoe going to drop? And what's that going to look like? And then, you know, to add some humor and not just be a total bummer, I got to say that now that I'm home a lot more, I look around and I'm like, wow. This place needs a touch up of this. And like, I, I saw you painting so the other day, and I was and laughing because I literally was going to the store. I saw your post on painting, and I literally was going to the store to buy cans of paint. I'm like, oh my gosh, her and I are so on the same. We're at the same. Oh, this like- is your daughter because she did the PowerPoint <laughs> of why she needed to paint her room. Yes, no. Well, I don't know about you, but I do feel like my parenting style could be sometimes described as leave them wanting more. (laughs) And I, I definitely, um, I, I do feel like ultimately I have good throughput of the things that I say I'm going to do, but, but it's not always on the timeline that I would have liked it to be. So that's, you know, so I, they're going to write on my tombstone. Everything took her longer than she thought it was going to, you know? I mean, I know. I, I know. like, and I don't seem to learn from one delayed project to the next. I know. Like, Mine is I'm always like, I'll think about it. I think I've said, I'll think about it like every day, at least 20 times Ooh, to my I like children. That. I might adopt that. <laughs> like they keep coming up to me. I Can we do yes. this? I'm like, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> I say yes with the full intent to do it. And then, you know, a year later. So we've been working on my son's room for a while. And this was, yes, the push came to shove. Um, and there, and it, uh, we reached what our friend Dr. Silver likes to call the tipping point, where it <laughs> where it had to happen. It was there was no uh, going back. And part of that was that once we went and bought the paint, he pulled his carpet and the rug. You know, the thing that goes under the rug. What do they call that? Like the non-slip thing. Oh you know yeah, what I'm talking yeah. About? yeah. Yeah. So he pulled that out and put it in the hallway of our of our upstairs. And so I was so that was getting old, you know, to have to step over that thing. I was like, all right, well, we're painting because I can't we can't put it back in unpainted. And, I know. You know. I know. I, I feel like um, uh, like everything I'm realizing that my like domestic it, it could be described as whack-a-mole. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, today, <laughs> I'm, today I'm going to organize the pantry and I organize the pantry. And then like, I move on the next day to like the bathroom drawers. And then I go back to the pantry to get something. And it's like a total disaster. I, I literally, it's like whack-a-mole. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's never going to be a time during this entire social distancing stay at home when everything looks good. Even though I feel like I'm working every day on a different, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I feel like I'm playing (laughs) whack-a-mole. So yeah, well, and your approach though, at least you're, you are sequential. So I'll decide that there are nine things that need to happen and then start nine of them and only be able to do one of them. So then I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh, now I gotta do that and that Whatever. My new rule is I'm not allowed to buy any more seeds or plants until I've planted the ones that I already have. 
I know. I was laughing so hard because the other day, like every day, the the UPS guy comes and there's packages of the most random items. Like, uh, you know, because we're, we're not le- we're not going anywhere. It's not like I'm going to Target to just like browse around. Right. So like this week, um, I ordered this like $5 plastic silverware container. And I sat down and like organized all the plastic silverware. And Lance was like, he like walked past me and he's like, you, you need to get out of the house. Like you need to get out of this house. (laughs) I was like organizing the plastic silverware. Maybe it's just in hopes that we'll have a party again someday. Like someday in our future, we'll have like a party. But I was like, this is like insane. You know what though? That's super gratifying when it's done. And right. I mean, the other part, the other, I think very disquieting part of this whole thing that maybe by this time this airs it'll be a little you know bit more cohesive is we don't know how long it's going to last we can't predict how you know what's going to happen next and you hear wild you know I was on a conference call one day where the discussion was well the peak has already happened or it's going to happen in two days but how would that be because you know like then the impossibilities of that being discussed or it's going to be in you know another three weeks or what have you and and, you know, just predicting what it's going to be like. So I, I don't, are the, your, are your kids, is there a chance they will go back to school this school year, Sasha? No, they have called that they're not going back. So, so same here, but I'll tell you, bef- when that had started to happen in other states and hadn't happened, including Massachusetts, which, you know, I can right. see Massachusetts from my house, right? Um, is... It you know it's sort of the un, the not knowing right was almost it was as hard yes because you're trying to because you try to leave space in your head for the especially maybe as a physician or as a scientist right you know you've got your flowchart right as you know an anesthesia right you right. know <laughs> yeah this yep. happens if this happens right and and saying you know right so you're thinking well this is going to be my plan a and my plan b and my plan c and you're like but i don't know what i'm planning for and so yeah i i you know what i've literally it's day to day and this is what all I, i there's no science i'm just telling you what i'm doing um i'm giving myself three tasks a day one of those tasks may be showering, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I don't, I can't like, I'm such a planner, Katie, that I'm like, okay, I got to get this done because in three weeks I got to present this or whatever. I'm right. so far in, you're like this too. Right. You like look so far in the future. And right now, like, we don't know if we're going to have a meeting in the fall. We don't know if right. we're going to have this. We don't know what we're doing. And so I just have had to really get mindful on today. Like, I don't think I've ever lived day to day ever like this in my life. Like today I'm like, what are my three tasks that I'm going to get through? And maybe they're just, you know, waking three people up in the OR and taking them to the ICU. Or maybe it's, I'm going to try to get through like 10 emails today. And then I'm going to try to organize the silverware. And then I'm going to take a shower. Like, I mean, this is literally what I'm doing because I, I, I feel like for so many weeks I was like in this state of 
oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's next? Like, do I do this? Do I not do that? Do I buy this? Should I not buy that? Um, should I wear this mask? Should I, oh, what, what we did yesterday has changed and we're no longer doing that approach to the airway. Like it was just so unstable that I just needed something to kind of feel like a, like a, like root myself in, okay, I'm going to accomplish these three tasks. And I don't think I've ever been this basic, simple living day to day as I am right now. So I don't know if it's good or bad, but that's my approach. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, and I think, right. So you're talking about, you've given yourself a lot of grace, Yes. which we told, which is another Dr. Silver and Dr. Shulkut, you know, thing. Um, and I think we all need to do that and we need to do it for others. And, um, and I, you know, it's really a challenge, though, oh. for people whose lives are planned ahead and who, you know, you know what you're doing year a year in advance, oh, yeah. more than a year in advance. And so to, to it feels a little what what feels like maybe theoretically should be freeing. Yes, is actually a little, like I said, unsettling. The other the other thing I wonder about, especially for people who are so I'm only going in maximum one to two days a week to the office and working at home the rest of the time. And, you know, if you've got boundary issues around wanting to work all the time or just feeling like you're compelled to get stuff done for work, it's very hard when you're bedroom is like 11 steps to the office that you've got set up. <laughs> yes. Right? Because oh it's like yes. there and you're like, and you know, that computer is like looking at you with its hundred things to do on it. Yes. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So. And also turning it off. Like there's been a couple times where I've been working on my computer for 12 hours and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to turn this off. Like, it's not like going to the office, doing your thing, coming home shutting down. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's no, no that, boundaries. That, that's my point. There's no boundary. And exactly. And you're, and so, yeah, right. It's bi-directional. At some point you're like, Oh, I could throw a load of laundry in. Whee! Yeah. <laughs> this is great. And right. then, but then at other times when you're, you know, exactly you're, you keep telling everybody starts wandering in here and going, uh, what's your general? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. I hey, know. Do you know what, do you know what we're having? I know. And you know, or I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to cook. I'm going to cook. I'm going to cook. I'm like two hours later. I'm like, Oh, well now it's eight 30. <laughs> I know. I know. So, Pretend okay. We're European. So now that we have, now that we have, um, I, on I, we have a sleep expert on here. I have to ask you because I know that I'm hearing so much from the women in medicine in style MD and people on social media that the sleep disturbance right now is like a real thing. People are having all these vivid dreams. I know I am. I'm having crazy dreams, like dreams about mission trips I took in college that I haven't even thought about in 20 years. It's insane. But what do we, what, what do we do when we wake up at three in the morning and we start the list, like, oh my gosh, what if this happens? Oh my gosh, what if we can't go to this thing in the fall? Oh my gosh, what, what about this? Like, give, give us some practical tips. Yeah. So I, so, um, let me answer, let me just talk about the dreams for a minute. Cause okay. I think it's really interesting. So, um, and perhaps actually healthy. So I do think that now that people don't necessarily have to get up quite as early, that people are probably, you know, and, yeah. and there's even some like metadata from Fitbits of all over the world and stuff that people are sleeping later in the morning. Um, now, they may not be sleeping, which is what you mentioned, and I'll come back to that, I promise. But 
you know, we, you know, we tend to have REM sleep, which is when we dream more towards the end of the night than at the beginning of the night. And we tend to remember dreams when they happen closer to a time when we've woken up. So I'm sure you've had that experience where there's a dream that you're, it's elusive, right? It's run away from you. Like when you first wake up, it's so intense. And then you're like, you can't remember it. Yeah. And, and so people who say, well, I never dream, they probably do dream. They just don't wake up at a time typically that is close to a time when they've had REM sleep. And so, and that's more likely to happen if you're getting up with an alarm early in the morning rather than sort of sleeping until your natural spontaneous awakening, you know, the natural conclusion of your sleep. So I think some of these reports of dreams, particularly the ones that are just like you said, like not distressing or nightmare but just kind of like, where did that come from? Or, <laughs> you know, yeah. my king sharky was not on my high school mission trip. Why was she, why were she and Argon in my dream? That's so weird. You know, whatever it is that are weird. Like, I think, you know, you're probably having similarly weirdly content to dreams that if we woke you up, you know, during a different dream and said, hey, tell me what was going on in your mind, you would come up with something that seems weird. So then there's there's also data suggesting that part that one of the functions of REM sleep is learning and memory and emotional regulation. Um, And so certainly and and people way smarter than me who are, you know, have been interested in these questions have really postulated that. that some of this dream, some of these dreamings, if dreams that they are disturbing, are sort of our mind's way of kind of working things out a little bit. And so, um, so I would tell people who are having weird dreams, like, don't be distressed. That's your brain like doing its thing and trying to process information. Um, as far as the middle of the night wake ups go, and like you said, run in the list, which you know you can get in that habit. So. Um, So I have a couple of suggestions. One is people may have the opportunity to sleep more than they had before the social distancing and all these regulations and not going anywhere, right? So if you've got a longer sleep opportunity, um, but your brain can still only make the same amount of sleep, if you try to stretch that amount of sleep over a longer time period, it's just going to lead to more wakefulness. Mm. And so even though this is going to sound a little paradoxical, you really have to be careful that you're not spending way more time in bed trying to sleep than your brain can make. Now, this may not be the case with you personally. Do you know what I'm saying? No, but if somebody, I, that, but, makes, you know, that makes sense because my oldest son was having a really hard time sleeping the other day. And I said, that's because you're doing all your homework in bed all day. You're like right. sitting in bed doing your Zooms, doing your homework, doing your classes, you need to get out of your room, get out of bed, sit down somewhere else, like at the kitchen table or something, because, and then go to bed when you actually want to go to bed. (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, so, so, uh, yes, associating bed with stuff that's not sleep is not going to help you. Spending way more time in bed, you know, even if, even if you're, sort of going to bed at your regular time or even a little bit later, if you're then sleeping in an hour and a half, you know, you're it most adults, their brain can make between seven and eight hours. Meaning after that, it's you're done your brain's done sleeping. But if you so think of it as a seven hour thread and if you pull it over nine hours, it's gonna be chopped up and it's also gonna be lighter. It doesn't necessarily mean that you won't fall asleep if you go to bed earlier. 
or that you might wouldn't fall back to sleep if you sort of snooze in the morning. But the fact is it's lightening it and it's, and it's lifting it um, and fragmenting it. And so people should be, so if you're having middle of the night awakenings, people should be really careful that they aren't sort of spending too much time in bed. Number one, number two, you know, exercise is your friend for every health thing. You know that, right? Yes. And and people will feel better. They'll, quote unquote, earn their sleep a little bit more. So people definitely, you know, again, the lying around and just sitting all day um, is not a friend to sleep. You know, the booze is not a friend to sleep. So, um, you know, again, lots of memes about you know, oh, it's time to switch from my day pajamas to my night pajamas and from my <laughs> coffee to my wine. And, you know, it's um, you people just need to be careful about whether they really are consuming more either caffeine or wine, you know, because those things really do disrupt sleep, especially as we were saying, it's a little bit more fragile right now anyway. Right. Yes. It's so, and um, it's so, it's, and you know, I'm really glad you bring this up because it's a topic that we all laugh about, but it's really true. Like we, it's part of our overall kind of health. And I think we all kind of have this thought like, well, I'm not really doing anything. How can I be unhealthy? I'm just going to work coming home or staying home. Like how unhealthy, but I think that mentally and physically right now, it's really easy to not be healthy. I mean, I've had to kind of say, okay, wait, why am I standing at the refrigerator? I'm not hungry. Or why am I, why do I, I'm pouring wine because I'm bored, you know, Um, which is not a feeling I'm used to. I'm not used to being bored because I'm I'm not used to ever being home. So I think this is probably common. And I think that you've given us some really good tips on how to kind of think about, okay, clear, like, clear the bedtime like scenario, have the routine, only stay in bed when you're going to go to bed, associate bed with actually sleeping. And, and for those middle of the night awakenings, you can't lay in bed and run the list. That was, I just want to give one more point, which is if that's really what you're doing, if it's 4am and you're like, Oh my gosh, well, what about this? And you're thinking about all the cards that are going to fall, right. As we, you know, yes. as one thing topples after the next in these days right now, you have to get out of bed and go do something else. You really, you, you, because that time of night, it is harder to calm yourself down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I don't know about you guys, but we're trying to get our taxes done now. Right. And so the, you know, you would not decide at four in the morning. Oh, okay. That's the time I'm going to do my taxes. And that's also not a really good time for your brain to be like, don't worry about this thing. That's freaking you out. <laughs> it's not that important. I know. I, mean, I, know, I hate it. <laughs> we've all had that experience. Like where, you know, something that bothers you when you wake up in the middle of the night, if you ask the same person at two o'clock in the afternoon, the next day, they're going to be like, I don't know why I was so. Yeah. Up it's not that, that big right? of a deal, but it's a huge deal at three in the morning. Cause your brain, because is, yeah. your brain can't, that's a hard, it's actually defense mechanisms are work. Yeah. <laughs> right? you know, it's hard to exert them and we need them, you know, right. we need them to be like, it doesn't actually matter if that thing doesn't happen. What matters is X, Y, and Z. And you can tell somebody that at three o'clock in the afternoon, but at three in the morning, it's a much different and lonelier and darker and just, you know, yes, more yes. anxiety provoking time. So laying there and wallowing in it, you cannot. You have to pick your book that you're reading or, um, you know, or put on an old sitcom that's not, you know, it's going to 
be boring or, you know, something that's, and you will get sleepy again and then you can go back to bed and go to sleep. Nobody likes this advice, but I'm telling you, lying and torturing yourself with the rumination is worse for you. Yeah. Um, then, no, I agree. And I it's totally going to make agree. you feel worse even then, or people will worry, well, then I'm not going to get enough sleep that night. Well, okay. But it would be really a crummy system if one night was everything rode on one night. You know? Right. Right. Because, right. Because this, it is fragile. And so, I mean, and that's the other thing I would say is all the stuff that we were talking about a few minutes ago with being a good, healthy sleeper. If you're doing things right a lot of the time or even with exercise or even with, you know, watching your, what you put in your mouth and not standing in front of the fridge, you know, you can get away with having bad days on any of those health behaviors. If, if most of the time you're mostly doing the right thing. Yes, I agree. That was so good. That was such a good little like synopsis. You, we could just have, we, we should do a whole other session just on COVID sleep. But thank you for coming on. We had so many fun pearls today about women in medicine, maternity, boundaries, childhood, parenting, all of it. And we even got to what we were going to have on our gravestones. That's that's classic right, Katie exactly. Sharkey. Yes. Right. From the from birth to death. I love it. <laughs> but hopefully a very long time from now. And it's just, you know, you I don't get to talk to you as often as I would would if you were my neighbor, probably, and definitely not as much as I would like. But you are such an inspiration to me. And I feel so very grateful to have your friendship and to look up to you and learn from you and, and have you, you know, as a role model and, and peer who I'm like, okay, we're fine. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're that like makes my, me cry. Touch, you're one of my touchstones. <laughs> oh, really. I feel the same way about you, woman. You are and amazing. It's great. So it's a real honor to get to, to have this conversation with you. And it's, you know, certainly, therapeutic for us to talk about the realities instead of being like everything is awesome (laughs) exactly when we've still got work to do but we're doing just fine that's right well thank you for coming on the show you know i adore you and i'm just hoping that we'll get to hang out uh in person in person yes yes because you know me i'm i'm like you we're both like extroverted huggers so i know i i love the hugging meme (laughs) watch out i know know. (laughs) all right lady well thank you for coming on the show i love you no problem all right take care you too bye this has been an hsg production